So, um, yeah, I just wanted you to see the one thing he says, we're never out of fight. We never, we're always in the fight. We're never out of a fight. Um, there's another scene that they have. You might remember this, where they're gathered together and they just went through a horrendous battle. I don't know if it's afterwards, but everybody is shot up and wounded. And a guy goes, hey, I'm shot, I'm shot. And he goes, hey, everybody's shot. Can you, can you fight? You know, the question is, we have to decide. It's like that's a battle scene. You see the sacrifices. You see the work, hard work to stay in the battle, to stay in the fight. But for some reason, when it comes to our thinking process, we're not in the battle. We don't fight that fight. We kind of let it be reactive. We don't use the scripture and the sufficiency of scripture to transform our thinking. We try to just do this reactively rather than proactively. It's, uh, it's sort of uh, eerie that the battles, you know, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. In, in Plano, there is a war going on. There's a bad war. And uh, there's a man in this room that doesn't have uh, thinking challenges at times. And so I think this reason I really wanted to talk about this is that this becomes the chief thing. I kind of teach a little, I teach a little bit of that in, um, in, the, in the classes, in, and I think it's in Module 102. And, uh, and I talk about biblical thinking, but we're talking about helping people think right so they can live right. But we as men, we expect a lot of things out of leadership and out of God and out of our, our time uh, and our ministry. But then we don't actually prepare for battle. That's the problem. In fact, if you, uh, if you really looked at a lot of the um, uh, history in the church, everything that's won or lost begins with a thought process. And so I wanted to, I have, if you don't have a handout, just raise your hand. Pastor Brody's back there. He'll give you a handout. I just wanted to make an outline to give you some things to work through um, that may be helpful to you. And, um, and I think that it's really going to be an important part of being successful in ministry. Be able to lead your families properly. Biblical thinking. It's one of those one-two punches. You're making great investments in your life. We're thinking about Psalm 119.11, that we're hiding the word in our heart. Think about John 17.17, 17, where, you know, truth, you need to know the truth. It'll set you free, not just set you free, but it'll transform you into the word is the transformation, sanctifies the word in that passage. But we, we say those things and we around those things and we kind of brush over those things. But are they really making a difference in our life? I'm really going to talk about that today and won't take too much long on the structure of this. I'd like to spend just a little bit more on the practicum at the end. I want to show, give you the tools to be able to manage your thinking. It's an important process. Try to think about two parts. If you looked at an arrow, the top and the bottom, remember what's coming out of the heart, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And on the top of this thing, you would be manage your thinking. That's a, that's a discipline that we need to do. We manage our thinking, which includes our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts, our dreams, things that come to mind. Or even there may be a picture, maybe a, a, an idea that's uh, formulated in words, maybe. But remember, that's the part. So as it comes out of our heart, it's not just supposed to flow into action. It's supposed to be filtered through our thinking process. If you don't manage your thinking, if you don't conquer this particular discipline, you're going to be involved in all kinds of sin. You're going to feel defeated in every time you make a turn, left or right. It's just a normal process of practical theology. It's a normal practice. Problem is, it's like going into battle and you never prepare for battle. You just grab your weapon and you go out into battle. Um, and you don't have any strategy. You don't have any disciplines. You haven't practiced these things. But you really need to practice this over and over again. And we'll talk about that at the end. But it's kind of, it's kind of a, a scary thought that we have so much responsibility that lies before us. If you think about all your children and grandchildren and children to come, listen, uh, they're all dependent on how you respond to life. In fact, you're not as responsible for what happens to you as, as you are how you respond to life. And that all takes good discipline and thinking. That takes our thinking processes working over time. And so I wanted to I wanted to kind of challenge us in a few areas today. 
on your outline, I just covered it in a few spots here, and I think I, um, just for the sake of simplicity here, I think I've, I've got it as, um, you know, consider the command for battle. Know the real enemy. Nobody goes to war that doesn't know the enemy. And everybody's swinging and, and, and you know, attacking the wrong enemy all the time. Sure, Satan's our enemy, but, you know, Christ overcame him, defeated him, and overcame the world. So sometimes we're blaming the devil. We're blaming the devil. devil's to blame for everything. I love to blame for anything. But the truth of the matter is, there's a greater battle. There's a battle that's happening in your neighborhood, in your own heart. Uh, so know the enemy within. And then, um, and then we talk about the three-part plan. And that's where I want to help you with uh, some of the scriptures. And they're, they're just they're sporadic scriptures on helping us develop this. But really, the idea is that once you understand your responsibility in this, uh, you wouldn't dare go deploy to battle without going through a process of training and not understanding the weapons and understanding the system and understanding the objective and knowing the enemy. But we do this all the time. We're always spiritually engaged, but we're never prepared. Then we wonder, what, why is everybody... I mean, this is the number one thing I've heard in 26 years of counseling. Well, why is this happening to me? Because, because you're not prepared to do your part of the battle. I can't fight every part of the war on every front. I'm only responsible for how I, you know, engage. And that's where I want to help you today with the battle. I call it the theology of biblical thinking. Let's, um, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter 1.13 and work through some of this stuff together. I'll give you some time, some input. And while you're looking up 1 Peter 1, you may already be there, try to remember that what we think is what we become. That's how powerful our thoughts are. That's how powerful what we believe. What you believe is really, is kind of coordinated towards your thinking in your mind. Your mind and your heart a lot of times are synonymous in Scripture, but what you're thinking in your mind, um, remember this, is, is going to be the next step, how, what direction you go. Uh, what we have kept in our mind is where we are. So you are who you are to God is whoever you are in secret. Whoever you are in secret is who you are to God, not who you are publicly man. That's scary, isn't it? Because that's the, that's the real life. Remember in Samuel, he says, you know, they, you guys evaluate on the outside, but I, I evaluate the heart. That was the heart of man. So who we are in secret is, is where we need, that's where the real battlefield is for us. Our thoughts shape our behavior. You can't blame your behavior on something else. Your thoughts shape our behaviors. And what we do is what we think, is a, is a result of what we think. Let's take a look at First Peter real quick. If somebody want to read just verse 13, First Peter 1.13. Amen. Now, now this uh, just happens to be one of my wife's favorite verses. This one she quotes all the time because she knows that everything is going to be successful in counseling. Everything is going to be successful in life and relationships. It's going to begin with how you prepare your mind for this. Uh, and our, our mindset when we were reconciling our own marriage 35 years ago was that we really don't like each other. So we came to that conclusion. We agreed on that. We really don't trust each other. So we, we agreed upon that. But well, we did also agree that God is the one that really wants us to reconcile. So we agreed on that. And we also agreed that it's going to take time to develop a relationship around a marriage that's really honoring to God rather than the old one that was a mess. So we, we agreed on those things. There was no emotion involved in that. There wasn't really any uh, you know, arguments about that. So we, we were deciding to be on a journey. I mean, if, if you've ever been deployed, you know that you're not, you don't have to love where you're going. You just have to prepare to be there and do your job when you get there. And that's the same thing in the marriage, what I do in my marriage. We just basically spent time reconciling through what, our, what was expected of us based on what the grace that God was going to give us through the journey. So we just said, okay, so we'll, we'll do this. And it was difficult because we, we would up and be up and down a lot of times. And he kept teaching me these ideas about you know, how, what I'm thinking and not to react on what I'm thinking. What is God saying that's what you react on. So 
There, we're going to talk a little bit about that at the end. We're going to say, you know, how you do your manager thinking, but then how you do self-talk that helps you in that process. That's in the practicum, and we're going to work through those things. So here he says, uh, he uses therefore, this transitional conjunction. He's like, you know, therefore is always a good one, isn't it? Uh, he moves from, a, from just making a statement to action here. You can see this uh, in the passage. And he says, first thing he talks about is prepare your minds for action. Someone say, gird up your loins. I guess in the King James. It's the same thing. Everybody's getting ready for battle. I'm just saying this because we are in a battle. You're in a battle right now. You may have been in a battle before you got here. And so if you look at the entire thing here, he's saying, you know, this, you know, set your hope fully on the grace. I think is what happens is when we get bad thinking, like, in, for instance, in a in pornography area, if we have some pornography thinking, We've always had a fantasy world that we've already injected into our thought life. And we, because it's not a real world. And so we, we make this fantasy world. What happens is we have hope in what that will produce for us in pleasure rather than hope in Christ right here, you know, and the full on the grace that He's provided. And He brings it out at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we're not really concerned that Jesus is coming back and we have hope for that. What we're hoping is for an immediate pleasure and immediate action that our, our fantasy world will provide for us. You see the danger there? That becomes very problematic for you. Because then when you're set on that, you're living a duplicitous world. You're living in a double-mindedness. So all of a sudden, now you've lost the power of your Christianity. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been in a lot of places where I just, I just nothing really is happening in my Christianity. I'm going through a lot of busy work. I'm going through the motions, but things aren't happening. Let me tell you something. Every time I repent, the Lord just floods me with everything I need. Everything. He's never, ever not given me what I need, what I've asked for, in a humble submission to Him. Never. Not once. And some of you just are, are like starving. You're like in the desert when it comes to a lot of your spiritual walk. And you're wondering, I'm ba- I need to battle this. I need to battle this. No, you need to fall in love with Jesus Christ rather than yourself. And we're going to talk how the mind is set this apart. And so he's looking in this passage for a commitment of the will here, not submission to your feelings. Uh, the hope is that is it's not self-serving. This hope is for Christ. Remember, it's to esteem others more than yourself. It's that the very essence of love is self-sacrificing. That's what it is. So our response, our strength, our mighty strength has to be in the Lord. Our mighty strength has to be in the Word of God, and we have to be able to stand on that even to death. But our response is in love. Our response is with grace. That's how you know you're more like Christ. I always say this in my class. You're not more like Christ when you know the Bible the most. You're not more more like Christ when you attend church the most. You're more like Christ when you can forgive the most. And that's because that takes grace. That takes love. It takes humility. Because you'll never give away what you don't know you have. You only give forgiveness away at the level you understand your own forgiveness. This battle's inside. This battle's on the inside. It's not on the outside. It's the thinking process. So we have to fix our hope on Christ, the reality. He's the reality. Remember, everything else you talk yourself into is not really a reality. The Bible is the only place that interprets reality perfectly. And whenever you move away from the Scripture, you, you've brought yourself outside of reality. Now it's easy to create some fantasy world that's got you locked in. You keep your heart back to where reality is. So when you're confused and, and out of sync, if you will, then you can go back and open the Bible and just read it if you want. And then you can ponder. Then you can study. Then you'll believe. But you've got to trust the Word of God as being the reality. That's the real reality here. Two things he says, how to fix your hope. He says, prepare your mind for action. This is a, sort of some metaphor, metaphor, of course, but I, I, I put it down as, is prepare to engage the enemy of your thought life before the battle. So what I'm going to try to do today, just to give you some uh, tips on this, um, I don't have a clock, but anyway, I'm sure we're, at least we're, it's not seven, right? So we'll, we'll try to work, okay. So what I'm trying to do is I want to give you enough tools at least to know the process. Just to know the process, how you do this. But the goal of good thinking is not just learning to manage it, but using this on a regular basis. So you're preparing your mind for action. And we're going to talk about that in the second one. But 
He's saying you got to prepare. See, most of the time we leave the battle for right thinking after the first rounds go off. All of a sudden, the first rounds of all your temptation, I feel attacked, I'm, I'm feeling this way, I'm there. I don't feel, I, I have these needs, and God is not answering my prayer. All the first rounds start going off. The enemy is engaging you. Now you're deciding, I need training. I, I'm pulling the trigger, but I hope everything goes off okay. No, you, already, you should already be engaging your mind. You, already, you have to prepare, especially if I go into a volatile situation. Now, here's serious, is that we got counseling because here we got both of us were cops, both of us carried guns, and both of us were angry. That's not a real good formula. That's more like a shootout at OK Corral, right? So we're like, OK, we can't. And we agreed that we didn't want to shoot each other in front of the kids. I mean, so we did a little bit of a morality uh, kind of played a part. And we said, OK, so here's the thing. We just said, but here's what. When she would come into my presence, I would come into her presence. I, we had to prepare our minds for that engagement. So we knew we were careful about what we said, because I can only joke with her at the level that I have a relationship with her. I figured that out later, the hard way. I can only engage her, so I have to figure out where she's at, that's where I want to engage. This is a preparing your mind. You're saying, I need to do this. Here's how I need to think. Here's how I need to say. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm going to do in response. You're doing this way ahead of time. You've got to prepare your mind for battle. In simple terms, it means to discipline your mind. Learn right thinking in everything. And you won't be lost in, in thinking right when your own sin battle begins. So you have to be very disciplined in right thinking all the time. It, it, some of it's default. Some of it will be default. Some of your thinking will come from default of the soil content, which is the, the kind of your hardest condition. Some of it's going to be just default that you're going to automatically uh, be sweet. I can step on Pastor Brody's toes and he's going to respond in a sweet way. I can step on Jeff's toes and he's going to say something in French. Okay. Michael's always sweet. Okay, may may work him over. He's good. But I'm just saying is that some of it's default based on what you've invested in your life and how. You, and some of you're not. Some of it are still babes. Some of it are still carnal. Some of us can't be trusted. None of us should be trusted anyway. But you have to think about it. You just can't leave this. Uh, just leave it out there and just wait for something to happen and be reactive has to be proactive. Second thing he says, be sober-minded. And some of them's versions say sober in spirit. It means to take it serious um, and not to be intoxicated on yourself or your personal agendas. I'm going to say it again. The best way to prepare your mind is not to be intoxicated by your own agendas and by your own offenses and at yourself and what, what your rights you have. When you're intoxicated on, on your rights, when you're intoxicated about what I need and what people deserve and what control you need. I guarantee you, this is where I was at. I was a control freak. I mean, I come back from the police department, fighting, do whatever I'm doing all day, and I come home, and i got to just flip a switch and be sweet. It was very difficult, very difficult task. But my, I remember my counselor said, You're, God gives you the grace to do whatever he calls you to do. So you can do this. You can do it by God's grace. Just do it by faith. Do it. Understand the grace of it. So invest the word of God in you. So some of this default... But a lot of it is preparation, is discipline. And some, I want you to be able to start preparing your mind for action. So um, you should have clarity of mind if you're disciplined. And you should practice self-control. You should take it seriously. So we'll talk more about this in the practicum here. And really, <clears throat> finally, he says, based on this passage here, if we find anything more attractive than the fellowship of Jesus Christ in our heart, then we've got problems. This is where... I'm going to plug the, the, um, the conference because I'm going to tell you something. If you're really serious about preparing your heart and your mind, Brad Bigney, uh, this, our speaker that's coming, he's, he's so dynamic anyway. You're going to love just listen to teach anything. He's, just, he's out of his mind. He's just awesome. But he's going to talk to you about idols, true idols. He's going to talk about the secret parts of your hearts that are developing. It's like the deep state of your own heart. That's the deep state of your own heart is working against you every day. It's got an agenda. It's pulling you away from what God wants you to be. Every day you got this magnetic pull, this default mechanism of the, of the flesh that wants to pull you away. That's why you're supposed to stay, you keep your mind fixed on the Lord, right? Also, it says don't lose what you've learned because you'll drift away. In Hebrews, you'll drift away from the truth you once know. You see, so the idea is that the default drifting goes towards the flesh. Don't think that you can just 
not be you know, good at, disciplined at your reading of the Bible and praying, that you're going to be okay, you can do this for a week or two or a month. It's working against you, and you're drifting every time you do that. Just remember that. It's always a battle on the inside. So if you're serious about this, you need to buy a ticket to the Truth and Light Conference. I'm selling tickets right afterwards so we can settle that. So <clears throat> this is important. Let's look up some scriptures. Who'd like to look up Proverbs 14, 12? Let's get a baseline for what our thinking is. Who'd like to look 14, 12, Proverbs? I need somebody to look up 15, Proverbs 15, 26. Okay. Um, who's going to do Proverbs 31, 17? Okay, thanks, Brian. Uh, Colossians 3. Okay, thanks, Rich. Um, and then Luke 6, 45. Okay, thanks, Mark. And then uh, Ephesians 6, 14. Okay, thanks. Um, I'm looking at, uh, I just want to jump to 1 Corinthians 2.16. Anybody? Okay. And then how about, Dave, would you do the last one there, Hebrews 4.12? Okay, let's get rolling. Who's, who's first? Proverbs 14.12. And talk loud, if you would. Okay, so what you're thinking is right. You might be thinking you're right, but it leads to death. You never trust yourself. That's the rule number one. You never trust yourself. Okay, so if you trust yourself, if it's if it's you know filtered through the scripture, if it reminds you of a principle of the, of the Bible, yes, yes, that's fine. But if it's something you're thinking, oh, it's always suspect. Could be good, but it's still suspect. I put it on the. I want to examine it. I want to take that thought captive and examine it. See if that's right. Okay, number two. So the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. Is that what it said? So I don't know why it wasn't just the, you know, the quarter of the, uh, you know, the abominations of the Lord in, in Proverbs 6. You know, I don't know why uh, it wouldn't just be their actions, but the, so even the thoughts of the wicked, because they're planning, they're plotting. Just try to remember something. If you go back to the garden, Eve had a conversation. Then she had a thought process. And then she sinned. Now, this is, nothing's different for us. We're doing the same thing. I'd like to know what you're thinking, first what you're believing, what you're thinking, and then how you're processing that. Is it going to be good for you or good for God? And then you'll act on it. That's the process. You see, it, it's more than just a single process of you reacting. It's, it's more of a thinking about the same thinking through. Another one, we got 3117. Okay. Somebody want to interpret that? Because I don't know why it was in there. It's okay. How about number uh, Colossians 3? How about Colossians 3? And then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on things on earth. Amen. And you know we don't have time to do get involved in anything else. Because you can look at this world's upside down, and we don't know when the trumpet will sound. We don't know when Christ comes back. We don't even know when we're going to die. But there's two forces. One is he's prepared to come, and he's coming, and we're going. We're going to him every day. We're getting closer to death, accidents, diseases, old age, whatever it is. We're moving towards him. He's moving towards us. We think we're just sitting back and waiting for him. No, we're moving that way to Judgment Day as well. Somebody else. There you go. That's always the heart issue. If you don't get to the heart of the issue, you can't change behavior. You change motive, you change behavior. You change behavior by itself. That's sort of what psychology does. They're helping you techniques to control your behavior. The doctor will give you medicine to control behaviors. But if you don't deal with the heart, which is the generator of the flesh, you never change. It's just you just rearrange the flesh and it pops out somewhere else. I remember my brother told me, he said, Mark, I'm not drunk anymore. I said, oh, praise the Lord. That's awesome. He's not a Christian. He's a new age guy. And he said, yeah, he goes, but I, I just smoke weed every day. So, oh, so he just popped out somewhere else. That's just, it's just natural. It's, it's, it's the law of na na uh, nature. It's what happens. Natural man. Okay, somebody else? Stand, stand firm, therefore, having 
Amen. In Ephesians 6, 14, that whole battle, battle plan, battle where? Again, it goes back to our, our trusting in truth. The problem is we trust in ourselves. We don't trust in truth. Just remember that. We're always trusting in ourselves somewhere down the line, and we don't trust in truth. You should be so objective. You say, okay, but what does God say about this? All of a sudden, I'm sitting there, and Richard comes to me and says, but this is what the Bible says. And I'm like, okay, I'm going over here. Okay, I think I'll choose what the Bible says. Now, we have to do this all the time. When you're in faithful and little, be faithful in much. So you practice these in little ways of thinking. You don't wait till you're attacked. You don't wait till everything falls apart, or you you know you don't wait for all that to happen. You 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 deal with your thought process a little bit at a time. We're going to get into more of that. Who's got another one for me? Amen. That's our ultimate goal. We want the mind of Christ. We have, we have the Spirit in us. Remember, the, the Spirit of God is the power. He uses the content or the context of what we live on, the truth, which is the Word of God. So the Spirit of God uses the Word of God in the child of God. This is 1 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. He doesn't get, use all these fantastic, uh, beautiful truths uh, from special revelation in the unsaved person. It's just for redemption for them. But for us, it's opened up a whole beautiful world of truth that's going to change us in the likeness of Christ. So we have the, our goal is to have the mind of Christ, but you know what? Isn't it funny? We blame our carnal living for not thinking biblically. We have to have the mind of Christ. That's what we're trying. That's our ultimate goal. Lord, and you can pray that way. Lord, I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to, I want to, I want to know what you know. Now that's not abstract. That comes through the word of God. The word of God is the only voice that we know for sure that God is speaking. I have friends of mine that are continuous, and they're like, I know, but what about the unctions and the earth? I said, no, put those on the shelf and get examine them with the Scripture. You're getting something that says, turn left, or I got a red car, or I want a, I want a blonde and not a brunette? Put that on the shelf and look at it through Scripture's lens before you act on it. Okay, who's got another one for me? Dave, you got Hebrews 4? Amen. So it's always about the heart, isn't it? So the Word of God is where we need to end up. This is where, this is the discipline. I love this because the reason you're here is because uh, pastors doing this study, and we love to feed on the Word of God at some level. And there's different aspects of that we're, we're learning. And we're, we're getting the whole counsel of God. We sit under a church. We get the whole counsel of God. What else are you going to be doing? If you're not going to church and you're not studying the Bible, you're serving yourself probably. You're serving yourself. That's a dead-end road. And who you really are with Christ will come out in what you're really satisfied with. So be very careful that this is always a heart issue. So he talked about that. He talked about know the battle, and then know the real enemy within. Somebody look up Jeremiah 17.9, Mark 7.20-23. through 23. Who wants to do 17.9? Speak loud. Okay, thanks, Brian. Mark 7, good. 20 through 23, nice and loud. Right, thanks, Terry. Right. Everything that deprives a man comes from within. So, you know, my boss, my church, my wife, my kids, my past can't defile me. They can't make me unclean. They can't make me unclean. Only what comes out of my heart is what God will evaluate, whether it's clean or not clean. You have to understand that, that, that you have to go back to Luke 6, 42 through 47 there about fruit, you know, what is coming out of your own heart. So this is the first step to understand that there is a battle. Second step is that 
the enemy is within, and there's three things that I want you to see these three things that you won't get in, in secular or Christian counseling training because these are, these are principles that will help you to get rid of the stumbling blocks so you can have a full relationship, a right relationship with God. Here's the first one is, the flesh is not your friend. So when I say that, um, I, I, you can't sanctify the flesh in that way. You can't. It's never going to be your ally or your friend. It's just never going to be part of the, or the team of make you more spiritual or not. You can't live a, a carnal way and blame and say that it's a spiritual thing. So you can't befriend or use the enemy in the process of growing spiritually. So just remember that. The flesh is your enemy. It's something you have to work at. Paul says, I don't do those things I, I'm supposed to do. I do those things I don't want to do in, in Romans 7. And it was a battle with him. And then he goes on when he's in Romans 6. He's like, so you, could you continue in your sin that, that grace may abound? Come on, we died with him. We're raised with him in a new life. Now sin no longer has power over us. What do you mean? He's like, look, you can't use the flesh because the weapons we fight with are different than the weapons of this world. And when we look at 2 Corinthians, we're going there. But your friend is not the flesh. The second thing is your personality is not your spiritual ally. There's so many personality uh, seminars that you can go and try to, I try to match personalities. I know a church that's a, supposed to be a biblical church, and, I, and for the most part they probably are, but they go into a seminar to teach them how to identify matching personalities. Because your marriage would be better if you have matching personalities. Let me tell you something. That's not, you're, 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 you're personified in who you are, but that your, your personality is never a friend or an ally in your spiritual growth. It's usually, for me, it's a stumbling block. I have to go against, if I'm playful, most of my sin will be along the areas of being too playful, not sober-minded. If you're too analytical and withdrawn, well, I'm just an extrovert. Well, how do you fight against that? So how, how do you prepare your life for that? How do you minister to others with that? Well, I'm just an extrovert, and I just have fun. And play. Okay, so where, where, do you, where do you go that you're sober-minded and you can sit and study and, and meditate and pray? You see, it's always a battle, and your personality came with your first birth, not your second birth. You were born with a personality. God didn't change your personality. I was sinfully playful before. He didn't change your personality. It, it should be in submission to the Word of God all the time. So you can't change with your personality. You have to be aware of it. Number three, your feelings and emotions are not to be trusted ever, 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 because they're they're toxic. They're always trying to get you to make an emotional decision. Of course, there's a reason I don't really like the altars, to be honest with you guys. I'm sorry. I have spent a first part of my ministry some 15, 20 years just helping people at the altar who were, and then never followed up and did anything. Never joined the church, never, never came to a Bible study. The vast majority of the people that I, that I had shared Christ with at the altar who had emotional breakdown, vast majority of them never followed through to discipline themselves. Because listen, you change through the disciplines when, it's a, when you're sober-minded. You don't change when you're emotional. You don't wait for an emotion to come by your way so you can change. You're changing in your sober-mindedness and when you, by the will. And so you're working through some of those issues. It's great you come down and say, I need help, that's fine. But the real work happens away from you. And so your feelings and emotions are never to be trusted. In fact, um, Remember this one principle, and I don't know if it's written down. I don't think it is, but you need to write it down. Is no one can make you sin. No one can make you sin. There's no blame game anymore. In fact, I believe it's the, first, it's the great demonic lie. Because the devil lied to Adam and Eve. And that was the ultimate lie. First he put doubt in the word, but then he really lied to them. You really don't have everything you need if you can't eat from this tree. That's the lie that still keeps going more and more and more in our life. And um, it's the great lie. No one can make you sin. No one can make you sin. You can stand up against anything with the grace of God. Look at work the plan, the first one. In 2 Corinthians 10, I'll read this one. Turn your Bible, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6. And basically he's saying this. I quoted some of this, for we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war against the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power 
to destroy strongholds. What are the strongholds? And you can name a zillion things if you want, but they're in two categories. Arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Arguments and lofty opinions are words and conversations in your mind, in your heart. It's, it's, your, your heart is a generator for the flesh. It reverberates everything constantly. It's never at rest and at peace. Hey, let's have a peace pact. No, the, the, the flesh always wants its way. It, just, it wants you to be a god. It wants you to have deity, just like with Adam and Eve. You'll know the, what's right and wrong. You'll know good and evil, just like God. Your heart is still telling you that. I want to be in charge. I want to have my own sexual way. I want to have control. I want to have power. Your heart is always at work. And if it's an open vat, before it's never filtered through the scripture, if it's never disciplined, if you don't have a humble approach to it, you're going to be subject to it. And that's an, that's an addiction. That's an addiction. Yes, sir. Oh, good point. As a Christian, we would never commit sin unto the Lord. That just that would run against everything that would be in our core Christian being. But if we commit our works unto the Lord, that's going to be something that the Lord would cherish, right? And Amen. Honor. And if we commit our works unto the Lord, then those thoughts will be established. Amen. Amen. So again, it goes back to motives again, goes back to the very heart of issues. But your thought process is never out of reach. It's always operating. You're thinking about something and you're not examining this in light of truth in most cases. That's, where, that's why you're repeating your sin. That's why you're in bondage to sin. Once you know the truth, John 8, 32, 36, once you know the truth, it'll set you free. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, once you've submitted to the truth, once you've surrendered to the truth once you once you become humble because of truth it frees you you know it's not a it's not a, a four-step process basically uh, we're talking about a genuine relationship here so he said the, off, the arguments and lofty opinions set themselves up or raised against the knowledge of god this is really the key to why we're sinful we take every thought captive make it obedient to jesus christ and punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete verse six Luther, Luther said this, I, I was like this, he said, I'm not worried about the Pope on the throne of Rome as much as I'm concerned about the Pope on the throne of my own heart. That should concern you. Who's in charge? Who are you blaming? I can tell if you, how your depth of your spiritual life by who you blame in your sin. Not your sin. Your sin is expected. We, we, can, we will and can do that. But who do you blame in it? How do you respond to it? How do you react to it? Because your relationship is what's... See, the, even in Matthew 7, 21, where they, they were fooled and they came and said, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy your name? Do all these fine things. And I'm, I'm saved. I know you. Come on. I did all these things. He's like, I, I, I don't even know you. Your work was of evil, iniquity. Get away from me. See, that was a surprise because they were fooled and deceived by their own self-righteousness. There wasn't a... The relationship based on God's terms, the relationship with God was based on their own terms. Now, this is, resonates with us. We're in this territory. This is where we live. You, this is a constant battle every day. This is not something you just take lightly, and if I just take enough grace and granted, I'll be fine. It doesn't work that way. Luther said it's the Pope in our own heart. That's, that's a problem. So, so the real problem... And your real problem, my real problem is us, you and I. Let's look at the solution here, Philippians 4.8. Displacement and redirection would be a more of a psychological term they would use because they use displacement and redirection in secular counseling because it says, what do you do? I'm feeling anxious. Okay, what are you feeling anxious about? Oh, I just don't know. What the, I don't know if the world's going to come to the end tomorrow. Okay, here's what I want you to think about when you start thinking about that. I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your garden and your puppy, and I want you to think about, you know, they, they just do redirection. And you can kill some of that panic attack by doing that. But the problem is it doesn't last. We have real hope. There's a reality to the Bible that we're shifting our, our thoughts to. And you'll see this in Philippians 4.8. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, whatever is just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is commendable, 
if there's any excellence, now this is in the ESV, um, and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Dwell on these things. Dwell on these things would be probably more appropriate. Paul's saying, Paul's saying here that the process needs to be that you need to think right. I mean, he's, he's, here's what he did. These are all these things we're going to talk about just briefly, but they're just guardrails. It's saying stay within this. These are just guardrails as you're going through life. Some guys put up pictures of their family when they're in hotels. They'll just put a picture on the TV or on the bed, on the stand, to make sure they, they pray and they thank the Lord for them. This is what I've sacrificed. For. Here's what God gave me. There's God's grace and his blessing. And there's a reminder all of me because you're always in harm's way when you're thinking about yourself. When you leave your emotions to yourself without accountability, you're in danger all the time. Just remember that. It's just like I remember the only thing that ever made me nervous in all the years of, of law enforcement was when I came into a hot situation and I couldn't see somebody's hands. That is not good. You're in danger. You always have that sick feeling because if you can't see their hands, you don't. You could be in danger. You are. I don't care when you come up to a car, whether you're going to home, a family fight. If I can't see their hands, I know that they could be armed and it could be dangerous. And so that's the same thing here. You should know that if you're alone and you're thinking and you're emotional, you can't trust yourself. You're already in danger. You're already in danger. The problem is that we, uh, we can be undisciplined and self-focused in our thinking. That really is, a, is problematic. But just keep, keep going. He says, dwell on these things. And this is an important one. Um, and then, of course, this, I talked to Michael a little bit about this, but this is in present tense, an active voice, an imperative mood, if you're a Greek person. But this is serious to God. It means whatever you do when you do this, dwell on these things. It means do it all the way. Do all of it. The illustration was, go plow the field as a command, as an imperative didn't tell you how much to plow, but when he says this, he's, I want the whole field plowed. He's saying, dwell on this. It means, I want you to always dwell on this. I want this to be fixed in your mind. Now listen, if you can't memorize some of these things, if you get, that's why I ask people to memorize Romans 6. Those 23 verses are life-changing because now it gives content to the Spirit of God. His Spirit of God used the Word of God and the child of God to produce the will of God, which is your likeness of Christ, for the glory of God, not for your happiness for the glory of God. And so you have to write them down, make flashcards, put them on your ball. Where do you send the most? Put a sticky note up there with a scripture on it and read it. Listen to a sermon note. Listen to, you know, GTY. That's what I do once in a while. So get in it. Fight it. It's a divine command. Dwell on these things, he says. So you're staying within the guardrails of proper thinking. Here's those eight things. What is true? It means what aligns with biblical truth. What is honorable, which is dignified. Are decent. What is right? It means what is just and holy. Think on these things that are pure, which is virtuous, morally clean, so to speak. Lovely, which is morally attractive. Good repute, commendable and respectable in the eyes of God. And if there's anything of excellence, that means of high moral standards. Or if there's anything worthy of praise, which is basically anything that would be applauded by God. Think on these things. How we respond to our thinking says more about your spiritual condition than your confession itself. How you respond. In marriage counseling, I have one person hurts one person. That looks like a bad situation. That's a bad sin. You hurt them. You hurt them. What do you do next in response determines if it's worse than the original hurt. You're only responsible to respond to life when it's, when it's given to you that way. How you respond to that. Jesus said, you know, give them an extra mile, turn the cheek, return evil. Don't return evil for evil, but evil for good. There's always a response that God expects us to do because he gives us that much grace to do it. And then the promise of peace of God will be upon you, verse 9. So, think about those things. The second one is, Manage your thoughts well in 2 Corinthians 5. We're going back to 10.5 again. Take every thought captive. That word means arrest your thought. Do not dwell on the tempting thoughts, but manage them. It's a fantasy or fiction. You figure out where it is. You just look at it. Some people use a why. They say, here's the problem. Now, I'm going to go this way and satisfy myself, or I'm going to go this way and glorify God. Now, you're at the crossroads. 
The difference between you and a natural man is the natural man doesn't have the ability to stop there and think about that. I call it lag time. The lag time between you reacting to your sinful situation and taking the time to thoughtfully respond to it is considered the depth of your spiritual... How much time do they come before the default hits? If there's no investment in the Word of God that's humbling you, not information, but that, that is transformation. If it's not humbling you, the depth of your, the soil, the condition of the heart of the soil is not very deep. pastor uses uh, water uh, from Joel James as an illustration that, you know, when you go out in the desert, you dig for water, and you can get water, you know, five, ten feet down. Uh, but, you know, it, it, that's where the, the life is. But if you're having to dig way, way, way down, then it's so dry. Sometimes our spiritual life is so dry, it takes a long time to get to the living water. So that's why you're making the investments. You're making the investments to condition the soil of your heart. The third thing is uh, keep addressing your inner man for personal soul care. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the springs of life. And it, some of it says, guard your heart above all things. I like that. And in fact, the, I use the NLT with brand new people or, or unsaved people because it says, guard your heart above all things because it affects everything you do. I love that. Because it does. It does. If you're focused on this is your best life now, if you're focused on reading bad books, mystical books, if you're focused on a lot of stuff that's, you're feeding your heart, and it's, it's shifting your worldview. You're, it's changing how you shape and think things. You know, it's like all of a sudden, instead of your epistemology being the Bible is a source of truth and knowledge, and all of a sudden you've got a, a fragmented part of this. So if you're not responding to life properly, and you're still trying to manage your thinking, but the soil is giving you nothing but weeds, that's why you have to do this. You're doing this. I, gotta, I keep managing. Some people are managing too much. They need to process the management, but they haven't conditioned their heart. You've got to make the conditions of your heart right by investing the Word of God. That's what he's saying. Manage the inner man by guarding your own heart. Now, look, here's the thing about, um, about your own managing your own heart is that you have to remember something. And let's just use uh, porn as illustration, then I'm going to close to the practicum. So porn, um, porn is, a, is, is a fantasy world where I can have intimacy without anybody telling me what to do. I can have an intimate moment with whoever I want, whoever I've created in my own mind. I want an intimate moment. Now, here's what's happening. As soon as you have an intimate moment in your thought process that you've manufactured, you've robbed, because you can't have both, can't serve two masters, you've robbed the intimacy with Christ. Now, now you say, well, okay, I shouldn't rob it. No, here's what I'm saying is that you won't, have the essence of your you won't be involved in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ the minute you move into an intimate relationship with Christ you lose the desire for the other woman some people think you can do both you can't have you can't say that you're habituated to spiritual uh, you're, uh, to sin you're habituated to sin in your thought life porn and you have a great spiritual life you can't do that you can't do that it's impossible it's impossible so here's what I'm trying to tell you this, is this where it is, is that I just came to this conclusion. I think I talked to Mike about this last week. And it's really helpful that those who are habituated to porn need a better prayer life. Now, it's not just going out and pray, but you're praying what's right. You're praying to God to humble you. You're praying God to show your own sin. You're asking, you're calling on the mercies of God. That should be the only sinner's prayer. The only sinner's prayer there should be that you could trust is that a person, you tell a person about what God has done and they go and call on the mercies of God. That's how they get saved. They turn in their repentance and call on the mercies of God. You should be doing that in your porn. Change me, not my circumstance. You don't trust that the computer's going to be off or the internet won't work or your phone won't cooperate so you keep the porn away. Scraping the surface, get down to the heart of this and have God have mercy on me my sin. That's how you develop a relationship. So thinking is one part of that, but the other part is the believing that happens in investment with the Word of God. So you have the thinking you're managing, and you have the investment of the Word of God, and together that's working. Look at the three things on the sinful tempting. There's three things on the, on the practicum there part, and it's you write down, here's what you might make a note of, you write down your sinful thoughts. Write down your simple thoughts. What are the conversations? 
That's how you have it in your mind. What do you think about before you act on the porn? What do you think about before you blow up or before you sin? What are you thinking about? What is, what is going through your mind? I have a right. Well, then uh, did you write down, I have rights. I have a right to fill in the blank. And then you write down the biblical replacement. Now, if you're going to talk from the Bible, how many rights do we have? We don't have any rights. Because we are expecting the power of life, and we never went through the journey of death. We never died to our own agenda. We just strictly went into, the, I, I accepted Jesus, he's my partner, my, he's my God, he forgave me. Now I just go on and live my own life now. We haven't died. That's the problem with that. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, it says that Christ's love compels us because he died for all, and all he died for no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was resurrected from them. Listen, it's a matter of, your reason you don't have a lot of power is because the journey of death has happened before life. To begin. Write down the simple thought. Write down many times, whatever those conversations are, or those thought processes that come, just the thoughts, the words, the thoughts, the ideas, write them down. And then you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna refute those with biblical right thinking. What am I supposed to be saying? I'll say, no, Mark, that's stupid. You know that's about yourself. So I've said that to myself. That's stupid. That's just, that's about you. It's about you again. Okay, it's about you again, Mark. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I've even done this when I was on the street, when I was saved. I just, now I'm new, I'm Christian, I'm I'm in the street, and I'm in an altercation. I'm still thinking, okay, am I trying to arrest this guy, or is this about me? I mean, is this punishment, or is this arrest? You know, I have to, I had these thought processes that came out, because it made me, I now had the ability, because of grace, to think that way. And the last one is, you have to attach a scripture to that. You should, because that'll solidify the right thinking. So I don't have any rights. You need to write down a scripture. What would give me an example? Second Corinthians five. Amen. Right. You can have any of those death passages, right? That you gave it up. Paul says it's not me, but Christ lives in me now. He didn't have any rights. Amen. So you write those down. So, if thinking's a habitual problem, then memorize Romans 6 is very helpful. Dying to self and living for Christ is the goal for right thinking, too. So, let me ask you something. Any questions quickly before we pray? Thoughts, comments? Okay. I gave a, a paper attached. You have a second one there, which is on uh, proper thinking. You can see that. Um, so, feel free to read that if you would. And I think for the first... Uh, eight people have a little booklet I'll give. I think there's eight or ten of these. Uh, it's called Changing Your Thought Patterns, and so I'd be glad to give you one of these books if you come up afterwards. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together and this word and your word, how powerful it is. Forgive us, have mercy on us, that we're trying to be leaders without the foundation of love, submission, and being teachable. Help us, God. Help my buddies in here and my friends. Thank you for commitments that they make. And just like the Navy SEAL said, we're never out of the fight. And we always engage in the fight no matter what, how hurt we are. No matter how hurt we are, we engage. And so we're going to engage with the world with the love of Jesus Christ by your, by your grace and your glory. In Christ's name, amen.